a radioactive dinosaur from another age, a fishing industry threatened by nuclear fallout and scientists trying to get to the bottom of it all. This isn't a Godzilla remake, but an homage as we enter the British Isles in this week's entry of Kaiju versus History, The Giant Behemoth. Welcome back to another history lesson in Dai Kaiju Cinema. My name is Miles, and helping me to throw tea in the Tims is my co-host Patrick. Hey, Welcome we're we're back. back. <laughs> yeah. So this, yeah, I, this is our first, and certainly won't be our last clone of Godzilla. It's taken us kind of a few years to get to this point, but yeah, we finally have one that is pretty much picking up what Godzilla started laying out in the English-speaking world. It's so funny. I would have thought there would have been more in the 50s, but they're all them or kind of beasts from 20,000 Fathom clones. None of them really took the Godzilla themes and ran with them. But, you know, King of the Monsters didn't come out until 56. So this is two and a half years or so after that. Yeah, I guess with just some of the such quick turnarounds for some of these things, I expected someone to do something a little bit sooner. And I certainly didn't. And this is no no slight. I didn't expect it to come from Britain to be the first ones to do it. Yeah, I mean, Varen the Unbelievable didn't get too far away you know, from the Godzilla kind of general plot, <laughs> I guess, of giant mm-hmm. monster emerges, appears on the scene. Military has to put it down. But this movie, The Giant Behemoth, really took the anti-nuclear yes. theme to heart, which I was really surprised by. It made it one. It was definitely one of the, one of the most compelling parts of this movie. Is they were, I, I felt, legitimately trying to make a science fiction about the themes that Godzilla touched on. Yeah, and 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 this is kind of what Toho wanted to do originally because they would have loved to have made Godzilla stop motion if they had the time, the technical know-how to to do so. Like the pseudimation was their fallback, which is so funny because it really the pseudimation looks better. <laughs> it holds up. I mean, that's people were just, I think, still in awe of the stop motion. And this movie has it done by the late, the great Willis O'Brien. It obviously hasn't held up as well as well, as Godzilla. I, I think, and we're going to talk. I assume we're going to talk about this a little bit more in this episode. But this is where, for me, the charm of stop motion, outside of maybe some of the Harryhausen stuff that comes out, I think some of the charm fades for me, and I feel like stop motion is waiting for puppeteering and painting and everything to catch up with the ability of what stop motion can do right right i uh, i was watching a video the other day that talked about how important is all you have to do really with these kaiju is the first or second time it's seen have something to scale it well Mm -hmm. in the shot and obviously godzilla very importantly is behind a mountain and we have the main characters backs in the same frame and we, we, we don't get that in a lot of stop motion animation is is getting those kind of framing shots 
that and I mean, some of the kind of passing glances that that is popular to do in a lot of kaiju movies where you don't quite see the monster, but you see yeah. the monster's existence. They're not as impressive, but when you're doing a sea monster, you kind of don't really have many other options. Well, but- Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, we've we got a great introductory scene with with that monster showing its scale amongst kind of the icebergs and things like that. Sure. It, it, yeah, it just doesn't happen in all the the other examples like it came from beneath the sea. I don't I don't think we really get a lot of good size comparisons until it's on the bridge at the end. Right. Uh, and and even here you're in the British Isles and until it gets on land there's not a whole lot you can really do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't we don't see see it, you know, taken off taken out like a, a seaside town or anything like therein. Aaron, we got a good size comparison at the very beginning as it destroyed, you know, huts and things like that. But just yeah. just something that doesn't really happen here. But before we get into talking more about the the, the behemoth, Patrick, I I would like for you to do as you always do and tell us what's in a title. So the script came to life with the I wanted to call it the giant behemoth, but no, it's the great behemoth with just the script of the behemoth. And at some point it got a superlative, you know, coming in much like the deadly mantis or right. what was another example? There's so many of the amazing colossal man. Was it, was it, well, there was giant claw. Was it giant claw or deadly claw? The, uh, yes. The giant claw. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the amazing, the, the amazing colossal man. Uh, oh, unbelievable, uh, Varen. Varen, the unbelievable. I just yeah. need to read my notes. But yes, so we we got the giant or the great behemoth eventually in uh, some other countries, Portuguese um, speaking countries, Russian. It translated to behemoth or behemoth, the sea monster, which is very apt because it's kind of like a a giant Loch Ness looking creature. Mm-hmm. In Spanish, it, it, it was just the undersea monster. <laughs> the German title, the German titles are always the best. Das Unheiren von Loch Ness, the, the Loch Ness monster was its title. And the Italian was the dragon from the abyss. So some pretty cool titles in, in other countries. I'm not going to lie. Loch Ness monster would definitely get me into a theater. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is one of the first kaiju. I mean, we've seen a ton come out of the sea, but this is the first one we actually get some animation of it swimming. You know, I don't even think we really got that with the beasts. No, it came from beneath the sea, whatever the <laughs> the octopus was named in that movie. We just kind of saw it like under the water. Same thing mm-hmm. with Varen, who was underwater for a good deal of, of that movie. But this is like feels like the first kind of oceanic monster. And that's that's a good question, because, you know, there, while there's not a time, there are certainly more than a few messy movies. So I, I, we haven't talked about this at all. So I want to kind of bring this up to you now. How do we feel about Nessie? Is that something we will we will pursue in the future or does Nessie fall under the kind of just a dinosaur type thing? I mean, there are some movies where it's got like kind of magical powers, I feel right. like. But for the most part, yeah, Nessie is usually just described as, as a dinosaur. This one is very different. The Great Behemoth obviously has some other things going on. Very similar to Godzilla. And part of that is 
kind of where it came from. This movie was produced by Artiste Alliance Limited, and they came in and brought director Eugene Laurie to helm the project. And the first script that they got called for the kaiju to basically be like a hetera. It was just a, a huge radioactive blob. It was not a dinosaur in any form, like just maybe the like we, we see a ball of glowing plankton or something towards the beginning of the film. I think it was just supposed to be a larger version of that. Yeah, that would have been. And I, it's so funny because I'm a massive fan of Edera. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite kaiju. I know I I said before that, you know, King Cesar is is. Was was my answer then, and and still is on on some days. Like I said, if you you catch me on a different day, it's gonna be a different answer. <laughs> but I I, I find Heteris so freaking charming, <laughs> and so my 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 gut reaction is, oh, that's a terrible idea. But then I remember, oh, how much I love Hetera. But Hetera is also a clown with eyes, and he's not just an effervescent, you know, radiation yeah. cloud. Exactly, and and Hetera has like stratagems you know it like right moves into different forms and it's also potentially and also dim eyes evil <laughs> yeah and and dim eyes if it was just like a, a blob like the ep- eponymous of the blob probably wouldn't have done as well and the financiers behind the the production company because they tapped eugene lori you know we're like oh well maybe we can get make this into just another giant dinosaur like film to replicate some of the box office mojo that the the same director did the beast from 20,000 fathoms i believe lori mm-hmm. came in and wrote and and directed that film so this is kind of trying to recapture some of that power on the screen you know, Beast yeah, of 20,000 Fathoms did extremely well at the box office. So. Yeah, so it makes sense that someone wants to do that. And I think people were, I, I feel that some critics seem to be a little, a little, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just, I mean, you, you're, you're, trying, you're trying to uh, recreate, yeah, the maybe the best rated giant monster movie of the entire decade <laughs> in history, perhaps at least in, in, in Western audiences, mine right there behind right. King Kong. And obviously that is a very large benchmark to try and hit again. Well, and I mean, I didn't love uh, that one, but I guess, you know, I, around this time, there weren't too many remakes, it seems. So the idea of someone kind of taking off an idea or even the idea of them fully remaking it, which this seems close to almost remaking the movie than anything else. And so I can see why some people would be a little more critical. I think now people wouldn't even bat an eye. Yeah. If someone said this is a spiritual reboot of Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. It definitely, it's got that same vibe. But like we said in the intro, it actually, I feel like has more of the DNA literal and figurative of Godzilla because we have a radioactive monster. Yes. And it also talks about the environmental kind of pitfalls of nuclear testing in, in the same same way and has almost the exact same ending <laughs> the same warning at the end by the scientist character you know going through the the dangers of, of what can happen with unchecked nuclear testing oh yeah right so eugene laurie brought in didn't like the initial script so he brought back a co-writer daniel james again from Twenty Thousand fathoms to rework it 
and they gave in to the demands of the studio. So we went from the amorphous blob to a much more recognizable dinosaur in the final form of the behemoth. Daniel James was, I think, a screen name or, or a um, yes, yes, it was definitely a pseudonym, uh, a pin pin name for for the author who was X'd out of writing in Hollywood because of what's well, a McCarthyism or perhaps he was. Yeah, it was. Well, he had, he had, had at some point had some ties to the communist party. And at that time, whew, good luck. So yeah, it's, it's yeah, interesting. Was, you, you can still get writing work, but just like getting a, a pin name. I think we, we've seen that a lot of time with those kind of writers, especially where, you know, you just need to turn in a, a script and and this is for the most part of the production going on in another country, going on in England. So it makes sense, even though it was American kind of backed finances. And yeah, I think- and I think what I what I do enjoy about this script is you can tell it's someone who you know anyone who I think feel like is blacklisted is going to have or, or at least kind of had that temptation to you know write about the politics of the film, and that comes through very clearly in this film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and very well, honestly. It, outside of Fifty Four's Godzilla, it is, I think, the best to handle the actual commentary on the atomic age in terms of like what's being said on screen and what they're talking about and what the ramifications are in in the nature of the film. And I don't think any film has quite touched upon it like like this one does since Gojira. Well, and it does it in a, an actually plausible scientific mm-hmm. way, which yes. I think we won't really get in any other Kaiju movie. So it, it talked about how it, the, the atomic radiation, just the fallout from the testing of those bombs goes on to infect like a majority of the base food chain like the plankton yeah. and things like that and then you know the yeah, fish. It's the, it's the, the plankton already the fish the fish, fish eat the plankton yeah and then the, the the fish are eaten by the birds and so on and so forth and yeah well, i mean it's just an example of that about basically how how the, the biosphere is catastrophically affected by just a, a little bit of radiation well i feel like godzilla's thing is godzilla itself was irradiated which normally that is you know produces cancer cells and causes all kinds of health problems but when you're talking about your food source being irradiated that is something else because that is like actually sometimes much higher dosages if you're drinking or eating (laughs) irradiated samples and things so there's kind of some science about like well why would a giant creature become radioactive itself just by being dosed with radiation and this gives kind of a, a reason and Godzilla Raids again touches on that a little bit more since that one's a little bit more about the fishing industry. Right, right. But but yeah, this this one gives the audience a full breakdown on on the science of things. And mm-hmm. in a way that I yeah, I don't think has been done before. And I, I mean I I give them full credit because the way they do it is expertly done. They start with a science conference, which mm-hmm. is extremely interesting in that aspect, makes it a, a much more technical movie feeling a, lo- a lot like 94's Godzilla and the the fact that it, it seems like you're following a documentary crew you know with these these scientists I don't think Eugene Laurie was in love with this script unfortunately uh, I have a quote here where he's talking about making the film and maybe it's because he wasn't excited about doing another 
beast from 20,000 fathoms, but he said essentially the beast from 20,000 fathoms and the giant behemoth were both cheap pictures. Anyhow, the difference one, one was cheap in dollars and the other cheap in English pounds is a, <laughs> a, a great quote. It is a great quote. I do think they both have obviously their, their own strengths. Those, these two movies and one is, has, some some major positives in some aspects and obviously the behemoth is the story isn't great but the science <laughs> behind it i really enjoy it's, it's, so it's kind of the I, opposite the other way i found like in two sides of this of this coin of this twenty thousand fathom coin mm-hmm. i found it much more enjoyable to watch the giant behemoth than i did beast from twenty thousand fathoms and it's surprising because the main characters I mean, I don't think they're great in in either film, but it's it's actually kind of refreshing in The Great Behemoth. We get Gene Evans as American research scientist Steve Carnes, and he is paired with a a, a veteran British actor, Andre Morel, who plays Professor Bickford. And we start with those characters at the conference, and then we get... Actors John Turner as, and and Lee Madison, who I thought were going to be kind of more main characters, but they just show up and then they leave. Yeah, they. they, the they film. I, I thought the same thing. Like when they introduced, you know, Jean and her father, you, I, I was like, okay, we're gonna. I, I see what's going on. This would be great. <laughs> and then they're just gone. They, they they had a couple of minor appearances in some scenes when. Steve and James are basically kind of visiting the island and trying to suss up what's going on. And then they leave and th- those caters are just done. It it seems <laughs> it seems like that might be a casualty of rewriting the script. Perhaps it's possible for sure. Well, it's so funny because they, they talk about how John Turner's character, the the fisherman from the, the village who gets irradiated how they're going to send him to London, I think, to see like a specialist. So I was like, oh, right. Well, when the beast or the behemoth shows up in London, he's always going to be there to drive the submarine or something, you know, doesn't happen. <laughs> he does not show up after about 40 minutes into the film, I want to say. And that was surprising, yes. I, I guess. <laughs> but when we find out that <laughs> the two scientists are our main characters, one of which is, I mean, God love him, but Gene Evans does not look like leading man material in one of these movies. He's kind of got a an opie vibe to him, and he, I mean, uh, he actually yes, looks—he very, very much has an opie vibe to him. He actually looks like he's got a lot, a, a lot of British blood in him. He's got these rosy kind of cheeks. I mean, it's black and white, obviously, but you can kind of tell he's—he seems like a redhead. But anyway, him and an old man scientist are two main leads that we we follow around. But right, just talking about this movie a little bit more, it does have an interesting kind of mystery plot. It follows in, you know, them trying to find what this creature is and what there's a huge fish kill scene in the movie, which is pretty expertly done. And yeah, I I mean, again, so here's the thing about this film. Is and I'm not trying to make a joke about British films. In general. This film is dry, mm, and that yeah. that's that it is 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 its biggest problem. Is the film is exceptionally dry, and even in the scenes of excitement, they're they 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 feel kind of lifeless. Yeah, and it's 
part of it is the special effects being very, very cheap. But I mean, I, I can see, I can see past that. That doesn't bother me so much. But they're just there is a I don't want to say say for lack of a better term. There's a there's a there's a lack of soul in this movie that yeah. I think would have saved it because there is so much about this film that really works for me. I, I, I got to say, I mean, let's talk about what worked in the film because the build up to the monster. I mean, there's such Fantastic. great pr- production value in this. Those shots on location in England, which was supposed to be the seaside kind of fishing village, I think was filmed in Cornwall in Essex. Looks amazing. If the entire movie had been set there, I would have been fine with it. And they did shoot on location in, in London as well. So already you've got immediate production value over just about every other kaiju movie outside of Godzilla. So there's a lot of things there that work. I think that that build up, that scientific kind of exploration is probably the, the best part of the film. And one of the reasons I thought while I was watching, I, I, I maybe messaged you and it's like, this is pretty good so far. <laughs> like I'm only 40 minutes in, but I'm liking it. It's it's a, a very competent science fiction drama at the beginning, mm-hmm. and if it had kind of was able to kind of keep that maybe uh, show don't tell, yeah, kind of thing. But the problem is when you're a monster movie, you have to show the monster, and unfortunately, you know Brian O'Brien had no control over the amount that he was allowed to do because well, they didn't give him very much money, and they didn't really contract him for for much else. Yeah, he was doing this in like a back lot. I think part of it was filmed in a garage studio in L.A. Yeah. So pretty, pretty bare bones as far as the stop motion side of it goes. This is definitely one of the few kaiju movies that falls apart in the third act as opposed to like, that's what we're waiting for, you know? No, you're you're absolutely right, and I mean, it's not. I, I don't blame O'Brien because he was only able to do a little bit, and they contracted some of the other work out. But it it does suck because you know, especially be, because you know him and Harryhausen were such diehard stop motions, the way to go. And when you're not given any money, you can't show off what what makes stop motion special. Because I do believe it's a special art. However. Uh, at this point in film history, I- I'm sorry, but the the pseudimation is just it's leaps and bounds more interesting visually. I, well, it's, it's so funny. I think to our eye, that is the case. I don't know if that exactly was what people moviegoers thought, but that's mostly for American films, because once again, in Japan, you've got Subaraya doing the the amazing miniature work that that he's known for and so we just don't really get anything like that in the united states or or britain or anywhere else well and then but in the reception that we have i mean critics weren't super super fond of this movie one of my favorite lines because i'm not sure the british are really suited for giant monster movies no offense to the brits but watching a bunch of folks stand around and keep the stiff upper lip while radioactive monsters from the deep attack London isn't too much fun. Yeah, the, the stakes in this film aren't really that high until it gets to London, which I don't know. I guess Godzilla is kind of the same way. Like there's, you know, obviously ships and things that are going missing, but we don't we get like one old man killed <laughs> early on and the fish kill. But it just it just. 
doesn't ratchet I, I up think, until that third I think act. Conceptually, a lot of it does work, but it just with what they could do, it just the execution, you know, fails. Uh, that that said, I mean, there's still a lot of fun stuff, and there, and there's clearly some fun ahead. One of my favorite moments in this movie is when they go to talk to the fishermen when they first arrive in town, and they're asking if they've seen one, and one guy goes, oh, I saw lights. And then there's a <laughs> giant music cue that goes boom, boom, boom. And it's it's great. <laughs> yeah. Because it feels, you know, it, it. I have to take for granted, like, this wasn't the actual use of the cue before it became just such a such a massive cliche. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the for me, it plays comedically. I know it's not supposed to. We do get some good music, a, a good score in this film. It was very reminiscent of that. Yeah. Edwin Astley did the music cinematography by Ken Hodges. It looked great. Like I said, especially those things shot on location. I thought they did a good job with just the, the, the melding of the stop motion with the, the action at the end just doesn't really work, unfortunately. <laughs> but in uh, we, we are going to see some more from Eugene Laurie. Unfortunately, there's not much of a legacy for this film, but we will get more. I believe British produced action in the form of Gorgo. Oh, yes. 1961 is a co-production indeed between the UK few weeks away, (laughs) United States and Ireland. And that will also have the return of screenwriter Daniel James, who's got like eight different (laughs) pseudonyms, but (laughs) so kind of like a spiritual sequel. And it is also a, a very, similar godzilla this one even looks more like godzilla than the giant behemoth and and you know what we 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 didn't do this movie but laurie also you know had the, the colossus of new york which is about a giant creature attacking new york well it's a giant robot and which is why we kind of opted not to do that one so i mean he he kind of stays in science fiction Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Not always giant monsters, but I mean, he does crack the world and Krakatoa east of Java. And then I guess finish, finishes his career doing uh, Kung Fu. Oh, the TV show, right? Yeah. With David Carradine. Yeah. But but getting back to like one of my favorite scenes, one of my favorite scenes actually wasn't a monster scene, but it's the scene where they're in the lab and figuring out for the first time, you know, kind of the, the radioactivity going right, on right, and they right, cut right. the lights off and you see one of the fish is glowing and it's such a great, cool scene. Mm-hmm. Like I really, I, I really enjoyed the scientific aspect of this film. I thought they just, they knocked that absolutely out of the park. Yeah. I and mean, it's a good thing. Those were our, our main characters and they're, they're kind of likable. They're a little back and forth. <laughs> they're very likable. And like, there's that Big, one scene. Bigford's yeah. like, oh, you don't believe we do all of our science in the lab. He grabs his coat. It's like, to, to the train. Let's go. Oh, and it's also like, there's one scene where like, oh, he's, I, I want to go too. And he shakes his hand goodbye. He's like, oh, yes, you you Americans like to do that, don't you? And then the <laughs> next scene, he's shaking somebody's hand. I, it, it's like a whole, it's like, oh, yes, Americans are a whole alien species <laughs> it's like i can't believe you're shaking my hand i, I don't feel like that was that crazy thing in great britain maybe, maybe if you go <laughs> to like it cracked me up I, italy I was, or something it's solid but like that was one of the i even took a note about it because i was just like what, uh, is, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny yeah great seaside village those scenes are all all fun oh yeah uh, let, let's get into the rating of this film yeah I expected it to be a little higher, but my personal enjoyment towards the the end of the movie, just because of the way it 
ends and it because it's such a short watch was a seven out of ten i enjoyed it i think that's probably one of my higher you know kind of post beast from Twenty Thousand fathoms godzilla enjoyments for for an american film it does go by fairly quickly and like you said all that science stuff is is very enjoyable i thought they're going to do more with you know the name for the beast because they talk in the funeral for the the actress lee madison's character's father in the movie how you know there are great behemoths in the bible they they go for kind of that aspect of it but this isn't a behemoth in front of the Bible. It's just some dinosaur that gets irradiated that they end up uh, having to fight in London. So yeah, seven out of 10 for me. What about you? I, it was also seven out of 10 for me. I, I thought the, the science fiction drama aspect of it was really, really solid. And the reason this movie isn't going to get a massively high rating from me is what I'll talk about in the technical aspect. But I thought the, Mm -hmm. despite not being super fleshed out, the actors were extremely competent and enjoyable. I thought the, the, the scientific aspect of it just put this film on another level from a lot of the other Western movies that we have watched throughout this decade and made it immensely more likable. I really do. Despite the fact that they had almost no budget, I think there feels like an, a genuine attempt to make a, a giant monster picture, mm-hmm. uh, despite how it does or doesn't succeed on that for me. I think there was a, a little bit of a lack of embarrassment that isn't present in like maybe some of the Mr. Big movies. And it, it didn't feel like I know that the director talks about how cheaply made they were, but it didn't feel like it came from a place of we're trying to cheaply do a movie and move on. Yeah, really felt like there was some passion somewhere. I I wish there was a little bit more of a soul. And I wish when we talk about the the technical aspect, I wish all of the creature stuff was better because it really kind of helped sink this movie. Yeah, I I feel like if they had the the time, the budget from a beast from 20,000 fathoms, we can talk about the technical. It would have gotten a much higher score on that. I gave I still gave it a. This could probably be a six out of 10. I gave it a seven out of 10 just because part of that technical is the other production value around the monster, which I thought was very high for this movie. And yes, uh, I mean, just like I said, the the filming locations in England, it made this look like an actual big budget movie, which is maybe my my bar is so low for well i i noticed that too because even the the introduction when they have the bible verse with the behemoth and you you they're filming actual ocean or yeah. what at least looks like actual ocean That's similar and, to godzilla's uh, opening or godzilla right, raids but, again i think but it gives you this feeling of like okay okay we're we're working with some real stuff here and it's it's such a it's such a simple touch that some of the movies don't bother to do you know, they'll yeah. slap a, a map on there. They won't even give you the animation. They'll just like, or they'll just like flash the name of the place that they're go- they're sailing to. But I, yeah, I, I feel like there was the makeup effects were fantastic. All the radiation effects and everything looked great. And I'm guessing because we didn't mention this, and this is weird to mm-hmm. me when I when I read this. This film was initially given an, an X certificate by the British Board of Film Censors. <laughs> what did they do wrong? They must have had the monster biting someone. Uh, I don't know. It, it could like have been the intensity from of the radiation 000. makeup. 
Oh, maybe, maybe. Yeah, because that stuff possible. is pretty grody looking, especially for the time. The original film was 71 minutes and seven seconds, mm. and it was cut to 69 minutes. So I'm imagining some makeup shots and stuff were were given, and it was given in an A certificate, which is basically kind of like a, a adult rating, an R rating, mm. which is still wild to me. But <laughs> that this that, movie have, have any of them, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like, you know, giving Rex Rooney to some, like, RoboCop because of violence, okay, that's understandable. The movie, as it is, is still pretty, pretty intense. This yeah. movie is is not that. But I will say the makeup effects for the radiation poisoning and for, like, you know, when the, when people, uh, when Tom is, is dying and you see his scarred face and everything. from That's, his, it's pretty good. Yeah, I will give him that. The, so- it's excellent. The, just the creature, in general, I thought, looked like trash. And in some scenes just looked like a pipe they put in the gr- in the water. Right. So we do get a, a different head prop that they, they use a good deal where that's all we see is like head and neck, which it's not, not grand. <laughs> what, what was your, your technical score? Oh, the score. Uh, I gave it a six because okay, I thought yeah. that the, the script overall was honestly, I thought the script was pretty decent. It again is a little soulless, but there's a lot. It does right with the script. I thought, but again, the makeup effects were, were pretty solid. That monster really just tanks it as well, again, as the kind of dryness of of the entire piece, because it's a it's an exceptional science fiction drama. It's very, very competent. Mm-hmm. It's just while I have immense respect for stop motion animation, I think at this point, because they just they weren't putting the budget in there, it it felt like this that they were working with technology, technology that was dated. 20 years when this came out and that that's i I will also give it some props because they do attempt to use a couple different camera angles and 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 tricks to to play with that and so i do give them credit for at least making the effort but yeah because they don't often succeed i it's it's a six out of ten for me it's 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 still far better than what we've seen through most of the decade in the english-speaking world but it's still it's still lacking yeah, it's, re- it's really like a lot of that destruction that we got from these from oh, 2000 yeah. Fathoms that, that really made that movie kind of th- those monster scenes very exciting. Uh, yeah, let, like you said, I think talked about it before, but cinematographer Ken Hodges did a very good job in all the scenes of like people reacting in in London, things like that. But they just weren't cut together extremely well. As far as like where this falls inside the Kaiju genre what its legacy is like how it kind of is is remembered and it's it's emotional response i i i mean this made you know kind of a a barely a blip in kaiju cinema you know but it it comes kind of nestled between i think the the early 50 movies and the early 60 movies that are some of the larger peaks for for the genre so it is here in a little bit of a doldrums, you know, we're, we're about to get Mothra and the return of King Kong and things like that. But yeah, just audiences at the time and audiences today, I feel like have passed this one over. So I gave it a fairly low score on, on that end, kind of along the lines of, well, what you have said, I, I agree with. I think it is pretty soulless as, as far as a, a kaiju movie goes, even though technically it is a fine watch, but I don't think this is this is required watching for a lot of people. 
Still, it's uh, definitely not. But honestly, as far as the English speaking movies, it would probably end up on my list of things to check out just because <laughs> there's not that many good ones. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's honestly one of the most competent English speaking monster films of the 50s. Yeah, that's true. I give a four that's out not of a high bar, a four out of 10 for for that aspect of it. What about you? I so I was kind of torn. I because I wrote four slash five, and I, mm. I really I gave it a five because I w- I felt like being kinder to the movie. But there really isn't. I mean, it has a reputation of being one of the few British uh, giant monster or kaiju films. I guess this would kind of be considered a kaiju film, even though we don't have a named monster. Well, we do have a monster that Behemoth is, is you know as much as a name as Godzilla is. <laughs> yeah, but Godzilla becomes its actual personal pronoun. Yes, yes, but we do have at this point two different monsters named Godzilla in in films. Sure, sure, but we we quickly move on from that. Yeah, um, I mean, if the next one we have, you know, Behemoth meets you know King Kong, <laughs> then 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 I would probably agree with you, but. It does have some strange radiation powers. Oh, yeah. It's, it's certainly a kaiju. Yeah. So, yeah. And it does have some tropes that have already been established. So, yeah, it definitely qualifies. It, it really knocks at least two of the three uh, golden rules. And hey, it's, a, it's I, so interesting. It does seem like a Godzilla clone, but I don't feel like it's really intentional. As, no, as... I, th- I think it's one of those. There was something in the air. And honestly, I I. I'm kind of surprised this came out so far after I would have been much more comfortable if this was like also 1956. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just, it seems like they're trying to replicate 20,000 fathoms more than Godzilla, Godzilla, even though they are very, very similar. It's got a lot of shared DNA. Yeah. I mean, with, with this and you know, one or two more movies (laughs) that that's where the reputation it has. It's just one of the few British films in that canon so it's not much of a cultural significance yeah but that that will do it for the scoring we've both given it basically a six out of ten which means our final say is kaiju versus history's rating this is six out of ten which i am certified fresh baby yeah i mean that's it's better than a lot of the the other american ones that, that we've we've talked about i it's the same know. as as Varen last week, which I kind of agree. I feel feel like Varen exceeds in some of the ways this one fails, and and vice versa. Probably only required watching if you want to do what we're doing and go through every single kaiju movie, but still potentially very enjoyable for you. With the exception of Godzilla, I think this is the highest I have rated an English speaking movie since them. <laughs> yeah, them is is definitely one of the the exceptions here. <laughs> yeah, I, and I mean, no, I, oh no, I, no, you liked. Uh, oh no, that you, you only gave beginning of the end of five. I was about to say that's a high one, but no, yeah, this, yeah, this is I, the, it, it, the it's, highest. It's, it's wild to me that I ha- I have become this person uh, <laughs> in this show because I am so often the the opposite. But I'm trying to be a little more, you know, just kind of. You know, not academic. That sounds stuffy, but just you know, really kind of diving into this stuff and and th- really thinking about these films. And scientifically, this is a good movie. Yeah, <laughs> we, we have and, discovered. I, I, and not that that said, like I didn't have a bad time watching it. it. It is very dry, and the monster stuff doesn't fulfill. It doesn't make up for the dryness. And so, 
that's why it has a little bit of a tepid score, but still a passing score. It's still a, a decent enough movie. This movie was on. I wouldn't be upset about it. Is it one that I'm going to add to my shelf? That is a, we'll see. I think there is an actually real nice Blu-ray for it. So I could be tempted if there's a sale, but oh. I'm not going to be rushing out to get it. It's a good final word. And I hope people listening, there's, there's probably some pretty easy ways to find this online or watch clips of it if you want to check out the effects yourself but yeah that that will do it for this week's episode uh, six out of ten for the great behemoth follow us on twitter at kaiju versus history email us if you think this <laughs> movie deserved a, a higher score especially if you're in I great britain <laughs> yeah and, and get ready go to kaiju versus history.com to to listen to other episodes or our next installment next week as we we go through the annals of monster movie mayhem it's gonna do it for this week's episode thank you miles and thank you everyone listening to this as next week you know if you've enjoyed these deep dives into these these movies you know take take the time to to just subscribe or comment or, or whatever next week we are back but we are doing a another special episode which we've we're kind of dividing each season of the show just in the decade that the movies come out. And this was the last of the fifties. I don't know. <laughs> Are you extremely excited about that being over miles? I, there are no words. <laughs> there are no words. I'm, I am so excited about the sixties because I think the sixties are really kind of when, when you think of Kaiju cinema starting, mm. I mean, outside of, you know, having these Honda films that that we started off with, to me, and and maybe some older Kaiju fans will disagree, but to me, the the Showa era as we know it and as it what it becomes is wholly, wholly defined by the films that come out in the sixties. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 to and and to me personally, that, that they define they help cut could define kaiju cinema. And what we expect from monster movies as a whole from here on out. Yeah. And the fifties, uh, so many of these movies suck. Are, yeah. I mean, they're copies, they're clones where they're kind of proto adjacent kaiju films where, like you said, what, what the, the tropes are, are getting introduced here in the fifties, but they yeah, get and we'll, and solidified we'll, in the sixties. Yeah. And we'll, and we'll definitely get more into the fifties and, and everything next week. Yeah. And that's going to be our, our wrap up. We're going to talk about the films that we didn't review, some some of which are very adjacent kaiju films or maybe inaccessible to watch. But we're going to talk about the decade as a whole, some of the themes and things, and then look forward to the 60s. So until then, thank you, Miles. And yeah, we'll catch you next week as kind of the first epoch of giant monster movies comes to a close. And we talk about history versus all the kaijus up through the 1950s.